Well, it hasn't escaped my attention tonight that the children have had a lesson this morning on the very passage that I chose earlier in the week without knowing what your lesson was upon. Well, I trust that will be used of God to open our hearts tonight and show us the wonderful things that there are here. Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, and our title tonight is Excuses that we make. We're very good at making excuses. The dog has eaten the homework. I haven't made my bed because you know the sorts of things that we say. Well, excuses that we make for more important things will be our topic tonight. In chapter 14, we read in the first verse, that the Lord Jesus Christ had come to the house of one of the chief Pharisees. He'd come to eat bread on the Sabbath day, and they watched him. The Pharisees, their religion was all on the outside. What they dressed, where they went, where they didn't go, the 600-plus micro-laws that they sought to keep, and the watching of other people to see their wrongs in their eyes, looking, looking, fault, 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 not knowing that the Gentiles very often didn't know much better, not knowing that really what God cares for is the heart doesn't much care for the outside, yes. There are things today that are essential. We shouldn't have those in our lives. We should hold ourselves decently and in order and bear ourselves appropriately. But their religion was all about the outside. God looks at the heart. He sees whether we have love for him. He sees whether when we pray, we really mean it. Whether we truly feel sorry for our sin. He looks to the heart and he sees, do we love Christ, the only Savior? Or do we love religion and routine and habit? Do we love what we've always done because we're a creature of habit? So these Pharisees, and the Lord Jesus is going to tell a couple of parables, they're quite similar, one's about an invitation to a feast, one's about an invitation to a wedding. But as the Lord Jesus always does, he just seems to hit the spot. He seems to hit the point. What is the big issue of the Pharisees? Pride. What's the great issue of anybody that won't come to Jesus Christ and who makes excuses? Pride. That's the great problem of human nature, pride. We think we know better, deserve better, and so the first parable is this picture of a man who invites people to a wedding. We're not going to look at that much. But he invites people, and in those days, there was a pecking order. 
it was not the right thing to sit above your station. But of course, everybody liked to be a bit higher. And if anybody came in, you got knocked down a rung. What a humbling thing that was, to have to go down a bit. In weddings today, we have the top table quite often, and very often the bride and the groom and their immediate family, if they have some, and then maybe the bridesmaids and the bridegroom, you know how it works. Just imagine somebody came in. Somebody that didn't really know the family and he or she decided to sit on the top table, if you please. Everybody would be looking, thinking it was indecent, inappropriate. Who's he? He's not even related. He hasn't even got an official role today. He just walked in off the street. He didn't even have an invitation. And so the Lord Jesus begins to tell this parable. And what he's doing, step by step, very gently, he doesn't point the finger. That's not Christ's way. He speaks in pictures and parables, and he's going to take the Pharisees down a rung or two. He's going to teach them that really, the problem they've got is the heart. They think better of themselves than they should do. And sin comes from the heart. It doesn't come from what we wear. Often, can do, but not often. It comes from the heart that causes us to do and to think and to be what God says, no, no, no. I have a way. This is my way, walk therein. Sin comes out of the heart, teaches the Lord Jesus. That's what causes you to lust. That's what causes you to lie. That's what causes you to exaggerate, to boast, to be proud. And so the Lord Jesus is testing their religion and showing it to be phony and false. He's testing their thoughts. He's going to ask them, what sort of religion do you have? Is it on the outside? Do you trust in the long flowing robes, the phylacteries? Do you trust in the ribbons and the bows and the tinsel of your religion? Or if all that was taken away, would the Lord see your true heart? Would he see where you really are tonight? Well, that's the subject. The invitation goes out. In both these parables, there are invitations given, particularly the second one. And the Lord Jesus is turning the tables. Just look at verse 11. This is the opposite of what the Pharisees think. Whosoever lifts themselves up, and says, look at me, look at my religion, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't break the Sabbath day like that person does, taking a few grains of wheat. Oh, but yes, 
You'd take your ox out of a ditch, wouldn't you? Because the Sabbath day was never meant to be a restriction. It was meant to provide rest. It was meant to provide the maximum opportunity for worship and nothing should get in the way. But even on that day, if there's a need, if there's an ambulance that gets called, we're able to take people to hospital. We're able to care. Needs of mercy, acts of mercy, acts of kindness. But even the Lord Jesus, when he healed, they looked at him and frowned. Who's he? Healing on the Sabbath day. What topsy-turvy thinking. And so the Lord Jesus says, verse 11, whoever lifts themselves up, I'll bring you down. Isn't that the case in this world? People get put on a pedestal. The Lord brings down the mighty. He brings down the proud, the Psalms tell us again and again. And what does he do? The humble person. That's who the Lord loves. The humble person that thinks rightly of themselves and of their lives. What do you think of yourself tonight? Do you think you're better than the person sat next to you? Do you think you're better than some benchmark that you've artificially chosen? No, the Lord Jesus says, those who are truly humble, those who think correctly of themselves, oh, the Lord will lift up the humble heart that comes in need, that comes seeking, fearing God, desiring Him. Well, we come to this parable. Let's look at it together. He tells this further parable. Verse 16. Then he said unto him, there's one particular man that seems to have just a bit of understanding. In verse 15, he said, Blessed is he that sits down in the kingdom of heaven to fellowship, to eat, not that we necessarily will eat in heaven, but it's a figure of speech. Somebody that has fellowship with God because they've humbled themselves. And so the Lord Jesus says, a certain man, as the Lord Jesus often does, he leaves out irrelevant detail. He doesn't mention any more than he, he was a certain man, obviously wealthy, obviously able to put on a big supper. And this man has a great supper. Hundreds of guests. Many, many, many people are invited. The custom in those days was the invitation went out and a garment went with it. The garment that you would wear. He must have been wealthy to be able to provide all the tunics to wear. And so the invitation goes out and it says, he invited many, thousands perhaps. Celebrations in those days, they went on for a number of days. This was on a grand scale. What's this all about? This certain man is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he's inviting people to a supper. It's the greatest supper that there will ever be. The marriage supper of the Lamb. When the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, will meet together in heaven. And he will sit down and fellowship with everyone who has humbled their heart with everyone that's accepted the invitation and come unto him. And so the invitations go out. This is so simple. It hardly needs explaining. And he sent his servant the second time. That was the custom. Maybe it was several months beforehand. And the invitation and the garment goes out. And the date, save the date, they didn't perhaps know when the date would be exactly, but it would be in a few months' time. And then the servant would come a second time and he would remind them of the invitation. And so he comes. The great supper, many invited, but there's a subplot here. He was speaking to Pharisees, Jews, children of Abraham, the people that had had the special blessings and promises of having the scriptures, the Ten Commandments, all the miracles in the wilderness, the prophets coming to them again and again, pleading with them, come unto me, was the invitation that went out again and again, down through the centuries, and yet the Jewish nation had rejected Christ. And so the Lord Jesus comes, the fulfillment of these prophecies and promises. He's going to tell them something now. You be very careful. That special blessing you had growing up in chapel, growing up in a Christian family, growing up in a nation with many privileges, Bibles on every shelf, be very careful. Your invitation may be given to somebody else. That's what's going to come. The invitation goes out first time, second time. Verse 17, and he sent his servant at supper time. It literally means when the day came. And he said to those who had already been invited, come. The food's been prepared. The tables are ready. All things are now ready. It would have taken time. And now, look at verse 18. Our first point tonight, the feeble excuses. These are just laughable. It's almost as though the Lord Jesus has some sense of humor. I think he did. In many ways, we see evidences of that. But these three preposterous excuses are made. Here's the first. I can't come. I've just bought a piece of land. What did he think would happen to the land? Did he think it would disappear? Did he think it wouldn't be there next week? I've bought a piece of land. I need to go and see it with my own eyes. 
How ridiculous. Land. It doesn't move. It doesn't usually vanish unless it falls into the sea. It would be there next week. It was a feeble excuse. Let's look at the second one. I have bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go and test them. Test them for what? To see if they will plough in a straight line. To see if they'll do the work. To see if they're old enough yet, big enough, strong enough. No, he didn't. That would wait till next week. All they needed was food and pasture. Well, what about a third one? There's a common feature of all three of these. Another one said, I have married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a very gracious provision. When the people were fighting and the army was to go into war, there was a dispensation for 12 months that somebody that had just got married, who may well die in battle, didn't have to fight. But that's not what this, this isn't fighting, it's a wedding. They would have known the rule. And so he says, I can't come, I've married a wife. He could have brought her. The servant, I'm sure, would have made a plus one for this man. Three feeble, pathetic, bordering on laughable excuses. But you know, there's something more sinister. What these three men are saying, verse 18, they all with one consent. This is orchestrated. The three have got together, it seems. They've come up with a plan. I'll say this, you say that, I'll say the other. With one agreement, one accord. Just see what's underneath this. This is the work of Satan. You see what this means to us today? All the excuses which I shall come on to that you can ever utter on your lips are put there by Satan. I believe that's implied by the verse. They all with one accord, with one consent, they begin to say the same thing. The person that's invited them is in all probability their landlord. He's the one that owns the land that they live on. That's what the landlord did. He invited people to come to a feast. What an insult! No. 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 We won't come. And we haven't even got a decent excuse. We're just coming up with something foolish and silly. What sort of excuses do you hear today? Have you ever used this to God, your landlord? Well, here's one. I can't live up to your standard. I don't really feel worthy to come. Well, in a way, that's a good thing, isn't it? None of us are worthy. You don't have to be worthy. The costume, the garment, 
has been given with the invitation. The Lord Jesus comes to you and he says, I give you the garments of salvation. Isaiah 61.10 You don't need to be worthy. Who is the one that's worthy? The Lord Jesus Christ. Worthy, O Lamb of God, art thou. No one can use that excuse. I don't feel worthy. I can't join that church. I can't profess faith because I look at my life and I see I'm unworthy. That's a good thing. Tell him you're unworthy and he will clothe you with the right clothing. Secondly, I've just got too much to lose, too much to leave behind. My life would have to change. Maybe I've got a big job. Maybe people at work would know I'm a Christian. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for me. Maybe I'd have to start witnessing. Maybe I'd have to have my Bible on my desk at work and I wouldn't be ashamed to own my Christ, my Lord. Is that what stops you? Oh, that's nothing. Would Christ be ashamed of you? He wasn't ashamed of me. He wasn't ashamed of my sin, my life, my rags. A third one. I've got no time. I've got so much to do in life. I want to do this. I'm too busy to think about my soul. You've got 24 hours in a day. You've got 168 hours in a week, nearly 9,000 hours every year. How long does it take to get on your knees and tell your heavenly Father through Christ that you're sorry for your sin. An hour? Two? No time? You've got eternity and you haven't got the time for the one that went to Calvary to give his whole life. Cut it short for all his people. Fourthly, there's an excuse. I'm okay, thanks. Is that the most common we thing we hear on the bookstore? You give somebody an invitation. It tells them how they can be forgiven of their sin, how they can be right with, I'm okay, thanks. Okay? You've broken God's laws. Every one of them. You're going to hell. Your sin will keep you from heaven. You're an offense to God. I'm okay. Look at you. Look at me. I'm not okay. I need a savior. I need forgiveness. I need pardon. I need one who lived the life I haven't lived. I'm not okay. Here's a fifth one. I've partly mentioned this. 
I'm a lot better than others. I'll make the cut. People think there's a 51% pass mark to get into heaven. God will just draw the line somewhere. Arbitrarily, he will say, oh, you're good enough. You're not quite. None of us are good enough to unlock the gates of heaven and for heaven to let us in. The only pass mark is perfection. Because one sin in one life, and we've got millions, would pollute heaven, would be an offence to God. He can't let sin into his presence. I'm better than others? Here's another one. I'm waiting for God to appear for me. I've been waiting 10 years, 20. I'm trying to be patient, but so far, God just hasn't come. He's not come in some remarkable way. Some way where I can be absolutely certain. Some way which is just unmistakable. I wish he would come. I want him to come. I want him to give me a light bolt out of heaven. I want the pages of the Bible to start with fire. I want God to put something in red, flashing lights, just for me. But it hasn't happened. Do you know that's what the people said to the Lord Jesus? Show us a sign. Show me a sign, then I'll believe. The signs never, never convince people to believe. Yes, people does, the Lord Jesus does draw near. He does encourage us to exercise faith. But come to the Word of God, search the Scriptures, look for what they say about you and about Christ, and believe them. Put your faith in what Christ's Word has said, come, come, the supper is ready. Don't insult your heavenly Father. Well, I want to come to one more verse before we close tonight. Look at what it says here. The master was angry. The master of the house he sent out so many invitations. The people refuse, rejected, and he's angry. Do you know God is angry with sin? And he's angry with the sinner? And he's angry with those people that insult him, reject him, that wait and wait and excuse and excuse? He's angry. And he says to the servants, go out. Go out quickly. Go and get the people who are the weakest, the poorest, the neediest, the people that can't walk, the people that can't see, the people that have had an injury in life, the people that are blind, deaf. Invite them, the Gentiles, those who are unprivileged, and command them to come in. There's an interesting word here in verse 23. 
I just want to finish with this. It says, The Lord said to the servants, This is the second time they've swept the city, they've looked and looked and looked, and there's still room tonight. There's still room. And the man says, Go out again. Go to the hedges. Go to that corner of the town of Bedford tonight, where the alcoholics sit, and those that share cocaine shots, those whose lives are ruined. Go and ask them, what an insult to the Jews. Go and eat, go and invite those that eat pork. Invite them to come in. But here's the word. We close with this. Compel them. Compel them. It's a very strong word. I want to show you. Just look at the book of Acts chapter 26 and verse 11. It's exactly the same word. Acts 26 verse 11. This is Saul of Tarsus who's now become Paul, he's before a king. And this is what he says about his old life. He says, Acts 26, 11, And I punish them, the Jews, those who professed faith. I punish them. I went into every synagogue. And I compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly mad. It's a strong word. Compel. Just turn over to Acts 28 and verse 19. This is Paul speaking again. He says, Acts 28 verse 19. But when the Jews spake against it, they spake against him. Again, he's giving testimony. He said, I was constrained, compelled, forced. I had an overwhelming urge that came over me. I must appeal to Caesar. That's the word that Jews go back to Luke 14. You know, there's another sense about this parable. The Lord Jesus is giving invitations and preachers, pastors, Sunday school teachers, they give invitations every week. They say, come. Everything is now ready. Verse 23, my house, heaven must be filled. Compel Am I being too strong? I don't want to force anybody into the kingdom of heaven tonight. That would be wrong. To manipulate. To force. But you get my point. The Lord Jesus, the certain man, once, twice, there's still room. Heaven must be filled up. The final sheep 
has got to be gathered in. There are others of my fold. They've not heard my voice. Compel them to come in. How long is left? I don't know. But everything's ready. Compel them. Urge them to come in. That's you tonight. If you don't know Christ, I have permission on the basis of the Lord Jesus through this parable to invite, to urge, to compel you to come to Christ. No more excuses. Confess your sin. Turn to him. He will not cast you out. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, here we pray tonight in heaven and come with the urgency, the compulsion to help us to feel and to see our need and to desire Christ. We know all of this is thy work, not us, not the preacher. Come by thy Holy Spirit. Lord, plead with our souls tonight. We ask in Jesus' name.